This week on Missions Today. As refugees come to the United States or to Europe, their perspective about their religion might change. They may be more open to the gospel because they have needs. And if they see the church helping to meet their needs, Christians helping to meet their needs, maybe meeting Christians for the very first time, because in their country, perhaps, you know, it's not something you do, you stay away from uh, those who call themselves Christians. And be able to form friendships with these people, you know, real friendships that gives a tremendous opportunity to witness to them, to share with them. But also, as I start to say, uh, their perspective, their moorings uh, have been changed, that what they're used to is no longer there. Their foundations have shifted, so they may be more open to the gospel. Open to the gospel. They're refugees, and they're streaming into countries all over the world. Here in America, how should we respond? I am Colin Lambert, and welcome to Missions Today. You know, regardless of your views on immigration, the truth is that countries all over the globe are dealing with refugees at a level rarely seen before. So what does that mean for the church? Our guest today says it's an opportunity we don't want to miss. Reverend Andrew Lee has served in leadership roles in two of the largest Chinatown churches in America, New York City and Chicago. And he now serves on the leadership team of the Global Diaspora Institute at the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College in Illinois. An immigrant himself, he knows what drives people to come here, but more importantly, he knows how the church can impact the lives of people adjusting to a new culture. Reverend Lee, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Colin. Let's start with the word diaspora. That might be a word that people have heard but are not really totally sure what it means. Can you give us a definition, more information about diaspora? So this word diaspora is originally a biblical word meaning dispersed, as I said, as a farmer would sow or scatter seeds. But now we apply it to people who need to leave their homeland for whatever reasons, and it could be voluntary, could be intentional, they desire to go to a different area or it could be forced due to economic or political conditions. So as you look at this uh, topic specifically, and your institute studies this, what, what are you really trying to accomplish? What are the things you're digging into to learn more about uh, at the Institute? The majority of Christianity is no longer in the global north, it's in the global south. And as people have dispersed refugees coming to the United States or, or to Europe, these dispersed people, these diaspora people, uh, it creates a tremendous opportunity for evangelism and witness. On the other hand, many of them are also believers. So when they come to the United States, they bring their own brand of Christianity, and it influences uh, American Christianity or Western Christianity. Uh, so there's a global interplay of forces taking place right now. And there are more refugees now than at any other time, I believe, in human history. About 82 million refugees last year. Specifically, is this phrase tied to being a refugee? In other words, is it part of just the natural dispersion of people around the world for whatever reasons, job changes, change of cultures, things like that? Or is it specifically tied to the idea of, of being a refugee? Uh, not necessarily a refugee, because people might come to the United States for college, and they decide to stay, and they join a, an immigrant church, a church that conducts services in their heart language, in their native language. So that would be considered a diaspora church. So it could be both voluntary, as I said before, or involuntary, uh, but it's just an umbrella term. 
Let's talk about refugees. That really is the focus, the heart of what we're going to be talking about today, how refugees are shaping missions around the world. And this is not only going to impact what we're seeing in the West, but what the world is seeing itself, and it's impacting missionaries as well. We'll get to all of that during our time together today. Uh, recently, the United Nations High Commissioner on Refugees released a report about the refugee crisis. What are maybe uh, two or three things that we learned from that that would be valuable for us to know about the, the shifting nature of the world related to refugees? There are 82 million plus uh, refugees uh, last year. So out of the 82 million, 26 million are refugees, 48 million are internally displaced people. So they may still be in their home country, but they had to leave their village or their city. Uh, another 4 million are asylum seekers because of political persecution. Uh, so these would be among a breakdown of some of the figures there. So it's a tremendously large uh, number of people. And 86% are hosted in developing countries. So not necessarily in the West, the more established West in the U.S., but 86% are hosted in developing countries. Uh, about a million children were born into refugee camps between 2018 and 2020. So that's a lot of children. 42% of our forcibly displaced people are children. As we look at the refugee crisis around the world, one of the things you've just talked about in the numbers is the uh, high number of people that are not necessarily in the West, in a well-developed country, but countries that are not developed. And so you think about refugees, displaced people moving into another country that already is having its own challenges. That has to be uh, creating a great weight, not only on those countries, but on uh, churches and, and all natural resources as well. Absolutely. Uh, but it does create a tremendous opportunity for the church to step up. And that's what uh, we're finding, that you have Muslims, perhaps, that are fleeing as refugees, and they've been taught that Christians hate them. But instead, they find that Christians are serving them and helping them as they uh, enter their new countries. And it creates an opportunity and environment for the church to step up. And you have stories about people being converted. Uh, my colleague, Sam George, has edited a book called Refugee the Diaspora. And in this book, he tells stories of refugees and uh, how they came to Christ and what happened to them. Let's talk a bit about evangelism related to refugees. Obviously, you've, you've said it, it provides opportunity for those of us who come in contact with refugees to be able to make conversation initially, build relationships, and ultimately uh, have an impact. What what kinds of opportunities are created? How should churches uh, here or abroad be thinking about the opportunities that are coming up related to refugees? What kinds of things have you heard or seen churches do to get involved with helping these people that have left their homelands? I think just providing food, shelter, jobs, assimilation into their new homelands. Uh, these are some of the things that churches can do. Clothes learning how to drive, perhaps, or helping provide cars, transportation, letting them know about the culture and customs of their new land, uh, knowing where to go to obtain basic services, just helping people with life. Uh, that just creates an opportunity for the church to demonstrate this love. Uh, but what's really significant is that mission has shifted because we're so used to the traditional model of having missionaries from the West go to these countries. And it takes years of training, language school, then they have to adapt to living in a new culture, learning the customs and 
forming and building friendships in order to serve as missionaries. And that's been the traditional model. But what's happening is that with this tremendous refugee crisis and immigrants in general coming to the United States, to the West, uh, to the more established West, these people are coming to our doorstep, right? It's mission at our doorstep. So instead of having dedicated missionaries go abroad, what we're seeing is that people are coming here and uh, church members can be missionaries themselves. Instead of the church sending out, people are coming here and the church can become involved with this new community to be missionaries, that every person has this opportunity to do this. I think that's one of the things we want to focus on on this program over time at Missions Today is how we individually, wherever we are, wherever we're listening to this broadcast, how we can get engaged. What I hear you saying is your mission work, your opportunity to be on mission actually can start right at your front door. Absolutely. My church in Chicago, they opened a a social services center, a community center. They established this uh, 20-something odd years ago. And what they offer are free English classes. You know, they minister about 1,200 people a year doing that, just offering English classes. Uh, they also have citizenship classes. They have children's programs, teen programs. Now, during COVID, they've been involved with food distribution and even, even being a place where people can come to be vaccinated. So these are all social services. And learning English is tremendously important. This is where churches can help teach people English, because without English, you can't really get ahead that far in this world. So it's very easy to do things to help. Just trying to help people in need, finding out what their need is and helping them with basic life need. And that's just on the physical level. Now you move a little further on, and then you talk about the children. Now the children growing up in the United States learn English, and they need to adapt to this world. And this is, again, where as they learn English, what we find is that the second generation tends to begin to want to break away from their first generation church. Uh, they need people to teach them in English. They need to uh, learn you know, the Sunday school stories and then later on uh, youth group and eventually an English language service. And this is where a typical church in the West can help out because you're ministering to the children of these immigrants and children obviously are very important, right? The families are very important. And by helping the children, you're also helping them. I love to hear about the impact of this. I want to step back from the conversation about refugees for just a moment because I know that you've had a lot of experience in the local church and and dealing with folks who have come to this country from other countries. What is at the heart of your own passion about reaching these folks for Christ? Well, I came to the United States when I was three years old, born in Hong Kong, and I came on a boat. So that was a long time ago. And it turned out in conversations with my wife's relatives that her cousins had come to the United States on the boat just before mine. Uh, it's the same line, but they came on the sister ship just two weeks before I did. And what we found was that we didn't quite fit in. And even today, I think, Many immigrants find that they don't quite fit in. It's, uh, you know, they're of a hybrid culture. You know, they're both one culture and the other. And, you know, they have a foot in both communities, and yet they don't feel fully immersed and accepted in the, any of them. So they're a little bit different. So my passion growing up is that uh, I had, I grew up in a church, but it was done in Chinese. And eventually there was children's worship in English. And again, uh, there was no youth group when I was growing up. 
just not enough Chinese to even form a youth group. So that's been my passion to go back and help the church in these areas to minister, especially to those of the second generation who need spiritual feeding, but the resources are lacking. Uh, so now that I've retired, I mean, my ministry career was with three churches in Chinatown, New York, and then Chicago. Uh, so here I am at the Institute and helping with research, helping with connecting you know, all types of immigrants, and especially uh, concerned about the second generation. I want to focus on that for a moment because you've mentioned that a couple of times. And again, I, I don't know that we in the West fully understand and engage with this. But I, again, I think every time we can educate on these important topics that it is beneficial to the church in America. Uh, what I hear you saying is there's often a place to land, if you will, for the parents in a uh, a church that speaks their native tongue. But as these children begin to grow, they are not as interested in staying in that mother tongue church or language. They want to learn English. They're quicker to learn English often. It's part of their new culture as children. And as they grow, they tend to, to navigate into more of a uh, an English-based system. So churches who have potentially services in another language to welcome and to help people as they come into this country want to make sure that they have opportunity to engage the children in English and begin to train them up with those same important uh, Bible studies and Bible stories that, that the parents and others have gone through. We want to make that available to children because they are the next generation, and that seems to be a natural place they're moving. Am I hearing you correctly there? What these churches can do is to adopt an immigrant congregation. That way, the pathway between the two churches is much more natural. Uh, so in New York, you have a church that has Spanish, Chinese, and of course, an English congregation. Uh, but English is the common language, and you can you know, the children can go to the worship service in English. Or it could be church members who decide to go to an immigrant church and help out with children's ministry, youth ministry. That was how I was taught in Sunday school because an elderly woman decided that she was going to help this Chinese church. And so she would lead children's worship for us. I love the idea of adopting a congregation. I, you know, that partnership between two churches. I, I think that is, boy, that's a beautiful picture, really, of of the body of Christ. And what a great way to see those who want to remain in their uh, heart language stay in that or or maintain that. And then as children who want to move more into the English speaking, they have that opportunity. But the churches are working in concert together. Uh, in training in God's Word. That, to me, sounds very powerful. Uh, it is, if, it, uh, if that could be arranged, but churches sometimes have uh, concerns about adopting a congregation and some of the issues. Well, what time? Yeah, what would be some of the challenges? Because I think if someone is listening today and they're like, boy, you know, there is this congregation we've worked with, but maybe there could be a closer relationship. I think we, we can certainly talk about the positives, but we also ought to talk about what should we think about or maybe some uh, stumbling blocks that we can think about before we get into a relationship like that. Even before adopting a congregation, uh, I think some church members who have concerns about what time are they going to worship? Uh, you know, is it going to be Sunday afternoon, Saturday night? whenever, uh, that's a problem. Another one is security of the church building. We're going to let people into our building. Cleanliness of the church building. Uh, maybe they'll cook uh, in the church kitchen, and then you're talking about sharing a kitchen. And you know how that could be 
sharing a kitchen. Different foods are being cooked, different odors, spices, uh, among other things. So that would those would be some of the concerns, I think. Financial incentive, you know, w- whether you're willing to let them use your facilities at a low cost or even no cost to bear the cost of adopting this congregation. But it's a rich partnership, I think, that would be possible if churches are willing to do this. And it should be a two-way relationship, not that the mother church or host congregation always is superior to the immigrant congregation. And I think it's natural to fall into thinking along those lines, even subconsciously, because we have the means and you don't, right? We own and you're using our facilities, but it really should be a two-way relationship where each contributes to the other. Yeah, that to me seems a key part of this is making it a true partnership between these churches. And maybe it starts with the leadership where they really decide together this is going to be a true partnership, not not a us letting you use a little space, but this being a true partnership in ministry. I think, again, that could be very powerful if it's done correctly and, and, and all the work and planning put into it well. Right, because they may find that some of the practices of the American church would be different from what they're used to, and doesn't mean that one is right and the other is wrong, but there are opportunities to learn from one another, as well as to engage in joint meetings or services of some kind on occasion. We're talking with Reverend Andrew Lee, Associate Director of the Global Diaspora Institute, Wheaton College, Billy Graham Center in Wheaton, Illinois, and talking about the impact uh, refugees are having on mission work. I want to talk for a moment about how this issue is impacting missionaries around the world. Refugee issues often are tied to politics. The political climate has forced some missionaries out of countries or affected their work in different ways. Talk about that for a moment. Well, our church sponsored four missionaries working in East Asia last year. Now only one is still allowed to be there, and that's still tenuous because the rug could be pulled out from under them any time. So missionaries are coming back. And even non-traditional missionaries, if you think about people who go abroad to teach English, they're having trouble getting visas to go into that country to teach English. And yet here they've spent one or two years learning the language and they're ready to go out. They're eager to go out, but they can't go out, at least not yet. So you have a changing situation where perhaps it's time again for these people to, to change the focus from going overseas to serving the immigrant communities that have come here, uh, that this is where they will go and serve. And I know one family that had to return from a Muslim country. So what they're doing is trying to establish a church in their local community here to those who are Muslim. And as refugees come to the United States or to Europe, their perspective about their religion might change. They may be more open to the gospel because they have needs. And if they see the church helping to meet their needs, Christians helping to meet their needs, maybe meeting Christians for the very first time, because in their country, perhaps, it's not something you do, you stay away from uh, those who call themselves Christians. And be able to form friendships with these people, you know, real friendships, it gives a tremendous opportunity to witness to them, to share with them. But also, as I start to say, 
uh, their perspective, their moorings uh, have been changed, that what they're used to is no longer there. Their foundations have shifted, so they may be more open to the gospel. Uh, even refugees you know, coming on their trip may find that God is meeting them in refugee camps, and that's what some of these stories are about, where God speaks to people in dreams. You know, Jesus appears to people in dreams, or they have a dream of receiving a book, and that book is the Bible. The Bible is able to change their lives. Uh, one story I heard was that there were some refugees on a boat from Turkey to Greece. They were on the Aegean Sea, traveling from Turkey to Greece, and one of the girls fell off the boat. Uh, she was a young girl, under 10 years old, fell off the boat, and everyone's frantically looking for her, looking in the waters, trying to search for her, find her, and they can't find her at all. Then when they turn around, they see that she's sitting in the back of the boat, and they can't understand what happened. And so the little girls ask, who's that shining man who walks on the water? This man grabbed me and placed me back on the boat. Well, we would say, of course, that was Jesus. Well, the boat made it to shore, and local pastor was waiting for them. He had prepared food to them to help feed them. He had also pre-selected a Bible story to share with them. It was a story of Jesus walking on water. So you see how God works, and people become saved through encounters like this. It's an incredible thing to hear, and I've heard some of those stories myself, and so encouraging for me, for one, just to sense through some of these stories how God is seeking people still today. It truly is God reaching out to people and obviously sometimes using us, using our churches, using our ministries or organizations, but God is reaching out for people who need him, who need salvation. And, and God continues to reach out and chase people in a way that's that's just phenomenal, and I think those stories represent that. H how do you see refugees coming to America, shaping American Christianity in the next, say, five to ten years? Well, a number of them are, are Christians already. There are a number of refugees who are Christians as well, and as they come, they bring their own brand of Christianity. So Christianity, the American Christianity is being uh, globalized by these new immigrants. They may have uh, slightly different customs, but what we find is they're more conservative. You know, overall, they're much more conservative, and you know, American Christianity has shifted to being much more liberal. So what they've done is, I think they've made Christianity more conservative, or they certainly have the potential to do that as numbers increase. Uh, as we uh, close our time together, and I certainly appreciate uh, all your uh, time today and your work with uh, your institute, as we are seeking through this program to really find what God has called each one of us to where we are, that's really one of our focuses. What has God, God called us to do where we are? Because we can't all necessarily travel, we aren't necessarily in charge of a church program, uh, but we all individually can do something uh, to reach others, to be missional with our lives. Just maybe a thought or two about that process in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own souls, preparing ourselves for what God might have for us. Well, attitude, desiring to help, reach in this manner, praying, asking God to send us opportunities, but some practical things. Perhaps there's someone at work, someone that you know in your community or neighborhood, especially if they're a believer, to form that friendship, and maybe there will be opportunities for you to help in their church. So that would be one way if the person you know already is a believer, but even if they're not, I think just forming friendships with people uh, that you might ordinarily you know, just pass by, uh, just seeing how you can be of help, and especially asking God to provide the opportunity 
with spending time in prayer. And I think that when we have the heart, God will use it because the Great Commission, after all, is talking about making disciples wherever we go. And that's the tremendous shift we're seeing, that we don't need to go overseas. People are here on our doorstep, that we have that opportunity to be missionaries to people who are more open to the gospel. Making disciples wherever we go and whatever we do. That's Reverend Andrew Lee sharing with us ways we can engage more deeply with the refugees coming to America. This podcast was recorded before the recent events in Afghanistan, which has provided again a clear picture of why some people become refugees, in this case through war. Many of those refugees are now being resettled in the U.S. and some may actually end up in your community. So what is our part to play as the body of Christ? Well, there are several things that stood out to me about my conversation today with Reverend Lee. Number one, pray. Ask God to put in front of you people and opportunities that will allow you to minister and to share his love. Ask that he will enable you to use your gifts in the most powerful way. Number two, build friendships with those God brings your way. That's the first and best way to make real meaningful connections. It will be almost impossible to impact the lives of refugees if you don't begin a dialogue first. Third, consider individually or with your church aiding refugees as they assimilate into a totally new culture. That could be sharing American customs, helping with English, assisting them in finding housing and transportation, or something as simple as a play date with all the kids. Imagine the impact your actions might have in the life of someone who has never met a Christian, or worse yet, been told to avoid Christians. Your interests, love, and care may just open doors that you thought would never open. Finally, if you're part of a church's mission team or leadership, consider the opportunity to partner with a refugee-filled church to help provide connection and support. Most refugees will need to learn English to integrate well, and many of their children will soon desire to engage in activities and groups that function in English. Your church may just be able to assist with something like that. Well, that's our time for this week. Next week, we'll head to Africa, Kenya to be specific, to learn how God has placed one man in a position to begin to affect the work dynamics and integrity of an entire community. If you've enjoyed the show today, I'd love to hear back from you. If you could subscribe, rate it, and leave a review on iTunes. If you have feedback for me, I'd love to hear that as well. Email me at clambertadmissionstoday.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Missions Today Radio. Missions Today is a production of Resource Global.